Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now we begin, of course, with the pandemic. As the government says, more than a million people in the UK, that's around one in 50 in England, have the virus. In London, the figure's even more startling. It's one in 30. Well, Boris Johnson signalled there could be many more months of restrictions ahead. It says current plans to end England's national lockdown in mid-February are, quote, subject to a lot of caveats and a lot of ifs. Yeah, and certainly if the newspaper reports are to be believed, a lot of speculation within uh, within the Tory party, within uh, Westminster, whether that really will come to pass in mid-February. Certainly this time last year, a lot of those predictions were very optimistic. But the Prime Minister promising to accelerate the vaccine programme, that's one thing that can help, planning to treat about 14 million of the most vulnerable people by the middle of next month. More than 2% of the population is now infected. That's over... One million people in England, and when we've reported another 60,000 new cases, and when the number of patients in hospitals in England is now uh, 40% higher than at the first peak in April. So MPs getting recalled to Parliament today to vote on the new lockdown measures. Let's speak to one of those MPs. Joining us now is Christine Jardine. She's the Liberal Democrat MP for Edinburgh West. Christine, Happy New Year. Good to have you with us. Got to get your first take on this. Are the Liberal Democrats going to back these new measures? Well, Happy New Year. Um, and as you say, this is this has actually been a long time coming. We have, we've called for a ramped up um, approach to vaccination. Um, and what we want to see is a project team involving, you know, cross-party MPs, local government and experts to help with the rollout of the vaccine, because it is going to be the only way that we, we manage to deal with this. We're in favour of the lockdown because it will keep people safe. That has to be um, our over, over, overriding priority for everything. It has to be keeping people safe and preventing our hospitals from being over overwhelmed by this, as we've seen elsewhere in the world, because... At that stage, we will not be able to keep people safe. So that, with the figures that you you mentioned earlier, that you know that has to be the priority. But I have to say, but I'm disappointed at you know the the prime minister and you know his government the, the sort of delay in getting on top of this. Saying one day schools were safe 24 hours before closing them, and you know it's not taking into account how pupils are going to learn from home. We seem always to be behind the curve. We need to get in front of it. You know, this should have been announced before Christmas. 
But one of the points about these new regulations, Christine, is the uh, time at which they expire. Right now on the table, it says the 31st of March. Uh, Mid-February is what uh, has been talked about as a period perhaps where they could be reconsidered. But is that something that bothers you, the length and duration of this? Well, as I said, you know, the overriding priority has to be making sure people are safe. Um, and what bothers me about the time scale is the impact it's going to have on business, obviously, and the government has to have a new comprehensive economic plan for that. But one of the things which has been difficult in lockdown is the number of times it has felt as if we were on top of it and then we weren't. And for people, that is hugely disappointing. To have their hopes built up that they were going to be able to spend five days at Christmas with their family, their friends, loved ones they hadn't seen for months, and then have that dash at the last moment. So this time, I, you know, although it's been with a long time, I would rather that the government said, you know, this could last until the end of March, and we go into that knowing that that could be the case. But we'll review it earlier, and if it's possible to list it, we will. Because we have to make that safety that I mentioned, the priority. Um, and what we do in the lockdown is try and get ahead of this now. Try and make sure we get... We need some respite for our NHS and care staff because they are absolutely exhausted. They've had this for a year almost now with, with no break. And the winter is a very, very difficult time every mm. year. And the, the pressure on um, accident emergency. So we know this is going to be tough. And I really think that, you know, we have to accept that we have to keep people safe and this is the best way of doing it. It has uh, to go along, however, uh, I would say, with a package of measures to make sure that we come out the other end of it yeah. with an economy which is able to, um, to recover. And, and then you mentioned the vaccine rollout and how that can be yeah. sped up. Tell us a bit more about this cross-party approach you're, you're advocating, because clearly at the current rate, things aren't going to get done quickly enough. I think it is a, a concern for a lot of people. People are saying, you know, when will I get my vaccine? Particularly people who are perhaps, you know, children on the boat and they are worried about it. So what we've called for is a, a wrap-up approach to vaccinations and with a project team involved, it would involve all um, parties, um, local government and experts, medical experts to help rule this out. And experts, you know, they're not always... In this, it would be people who are used to every year doing the flu vaccine. They have the expertise that we need to, to rule this out. Look at other fields as well. And draw a clear roadmap so that we can see how many people are going to be vaccinated every week and check that that's working. Lockdown is keeping people safe at the moment, but the vaccine is the key to getting on top of this. And, and we have to do that. And we also have to be thinking about those people who are working from home and students who are working from home, measures for them. But rolling it out, rolling it out as quickly as we can and as effectively as we can has to be the key to this. Well, how effective and, and quick is it being? I mean, where you are uh, in Edinburgh, is are people getting the vaccine at the right sort of pace? Are the right people getting it? How is it working? Well, I have heard of people who have had the vaccine already and um, my local uh, GPs, constituency GPs surgeries are sending out messages to um, their, um, their patients telling them how they can expect to roll out to be operational in that specific practice and who's going to be contacted first. 
And um, we, we are all aware. I mean, I know which category I'm likely to be in and when I'm likely to get the vaccine, you know, things of my age, you know, if people have health issues, etc. So it is, people are waiting. Uh, but I think the more we can communicate with people, the more we can tell them about when the vaccine is going to come, the better. And we shouldn't just be depending on the local practices who are doing a great job, but we shouldn't just be depending on them to get the information out there. I actually see it as, as part of my role and the members of the Scottish Parliament. It's incumbent on us to tell our constituents as much as we possibly can about the rollout and make sure that they know what's happening. And there should be... Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a journalist, so for me, the, very often the answer to things is get things in the newspapers, tell people what they're doing, put adverts out in the local uh, papers and press. We need to be telling people that way. But I, I think... One of the things which has been lacking from both governments in this is a kind of transparency and confidence that they are on top of things and the public is beginning to lose a wee bit of faith. I think with the vaccine rollout, we have to, yeah. we have to make sure that we re-establish that and that the public is confident that they're being told what is happening. And then what about business support? I mean, the economy is the other critical factor in all of this. We heard a very swift response from Rishi Sunak after all this was announced. Do, do you welcome that support? Um, Rishi Sunak's um, response um, has been very patchwork. Um, you know, it's a bit like, you know, having the patches and not putting them together in a quilt. What we need is a quilt to, you know, tell us what the long-term plan is going to be. How is the economy going to recover? Instead of which, we keep getting knee-jerk reactions. First of all, FARBA was going to end at the end of October. And then the day before it was due to end, it was extended for a month, which was about, you know, as much used as the chocolate teapot, as we would say here. And then, you know, it was extended till March. We want to see it extended at least until the summer with this new variant, probably until the end of next year. We have to have furlough extended to help companies cope with this. We also need... More, there were specific measures to help the hospitality industry, and that's great. But we also need more uh, specific packages for the retail trade, for the creative industries, for the arts, for our theatre industry, for tourism. We need more than these sticking plasters. Now, you announced yesterday grants of £9,000 for small businesses. That will not last very long at all. That's what, you know, less than a month. £9,000 to a business that's been without support because there are 3 million people in this country who've had no support at all. So £9,000 to any of them who are in business is not going to get them through this. We need a much more comprehensive, strategic approach. We need to be looking at how we get the country out of this at the end rather than reacting to what happens on a day-to-day basis. Christine, finally, let me ask you about your party. Um, it has to be said, in yeah. the opinion polls that have been around recently, uh, Lib Dems have not been doing well. Uh, one over the weekend suggested no. they'd be down to about two seats. We haven't really heard from Ed Davey either. I mean, his profile is pretty low at the moment. How are you going to address all that? Well, Ed, um, Ed actually is in a lot of the, the papers over the past few days talking about sort of things you and I have been talking about today. Um, and, yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, it, you know... I, I'm ignoring the opinion polls. The opinion polls are wrong. Opinion polls sometimes are wrong and they don't give you a national picture, uh, but you have to take them into account. Um, If you cast your mind back to election night just over a year ago, I stood on a stage in Edinburgh live on television and was told the opinion polls say you're going to lose your seat. Now, we knew from all of our data and all of our work that that wasn't the case and I didn't lose my seat. Um, So you take them with a pinch of salt but you look at what they're saying and why they're saying it, 
and we have to address that. Um, I think we've had a difficult time after the last general yeah. election, um, and now we need to rebuild. And one of the things that I think is important going forward is that we have a clear way of, you know, yeah. telling the British public, explaining to the British public what it is that Liberal Democrats stand for. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. We start with the business reaction to the lockdown. Business Group saying the £4.6 billion of emergency aid that's been promised by the Chancellor isn't enough to cover even fixed costs like rent. The new restrictions will keep almost a third of the UK workforce either unemployed or on furlough until at least the middle of February. But the uh, the BCC, uh, the British Chambers of Commerce, among other groups who are sounding the alarm and saying that it doesn't go far enough. And the TUC are also putting out warnings. According to the Trades Union Congress, one in five people who can't work from home but are forced to self-isolate have apparently received no sick pay or wages. The TUC's Tim Sharp is calling on the Chancellor to urgently increase financial support for such workers. Ministers shouldn't force working people to choose between sort of their lives and, and, their, and their livelihoods. We, we need a decent s- system of sick pay in this country. And we've been saying that, we've been saying that for, for months, but I think with this new variant, it's become particularly important. Well, for its part, the government insists the measures in place for workers and businesses are, quotes, comprehensive. And that is one of those issues that, of course, affects everybody, because if people aren't able to self-isolate for financial reasons, they spread the virus and it goes into the general population. Meanwhile, analysis from Shadow Home Secretary Nick Simmons-Thomas has revealed that just three in every 100 arrivals into the UK are being checked to ensure they're complying with quarantine measures. He's written to the Home Secretary, Priti Patel, demanding tougher action at the borders. Bit of a role reversal there in some senses. A Home Office insider responded to, uh, to Politico saying that it's not good opposition, but flagrant opportunism on Labour's part. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Meanwhile, Brexit, you may have thought it's gone away, it hasn't. It's still very much on the agenda right now because what's happening is that it's an issue of uh, business, of course. Business trying to deal with what we thought uh, was put it through in the last week or so to spell out the details of the trade deal with the EU. Boris Johnson is holding a call with UK business leaders. Now, the call can include the Chancellor, Richie Sunak, the Business Secretary, Alok Sharma, and the Trade Secretary, Liz Truss. According to people familiar, it's the latest step in a charm offensive by Johnson's government to try to sell the trade agreement to British firms that spent the bulk of 2020, of course, clamouring for clarity on future ties with the bloc. They are still clamouring for that clarity. 
They really are, especially if you're in the services sector. Very little of that covered in the trade deal that we saw signed off. But let's get back to the vaccine. Let's talk about the rollout, which is something that we've seen a lot of European countries coming to a bit of stick for. Joining us now to do that is Bloomberg opinion columnist Therese Raphael. Uh, Now, Therese, you've written about this in your column this week. You talked about how the vaccination goals that the government set should be taken with extreme caution, as we we heard about uh, getting X number out by the middle of next month. Doesn't mean, though, as you argue, that they're wrong to set those very ambitious goals. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right to set those goals. And there's probably an argument um, to be made that the goals could be set at an even higher level. I mean, if we look at what Israel is doing, um, it's vaccinating its uh, population at a rate of about 10 times what uh, the U.K. is doing. I mean, the U.K. now uh, has a couple of advantages over um, other countries, and particularly over continental European economies. I mean, one is uh, it has domestic manufacturing capabilities. So for the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine, the initial doses um, are being manufactured for some strange reason in Germany and the Netherlands, but then the bulk of the uh, 100 million doses on order are going to be manufactured domestically. And as we know, it's cheap, it's easy to transport, um, so it doesn't have the cold storage issues that the Pfizer vaccine has, which uh, affects distribution. But the other thing that it really works in the UK's favor is that the population is so far showing a lot of willingness to get vaccinated. Um, So, you know, this is a, uh, this also works uh, toward uh, Johnson's very ambitious target. He doesn't have the resistance that, say, Emmanuel Macron has uh, encountered in France. So then the question becomes, well, what, you know, is preventing the UK from meeting Johnson's target? And, um, you know, there it gets a little bit murkier because we've heard the prime minister sort of suggesting that, uh, that, that, that there were limiting factors in terms of the medicines regulator uh, speed with which it could certify the different batches. Uh, there's been discussions of supply shortages, which the manufacturers say is not the case. But really it comes down to distribution channels and just how big an effort are they going to make to get this into people's arms as quickly as possible as the Israelis have done? And there I think, you know, the, the, the target is great, but really the strategy for implementing it could be a whole lot more ambitious. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see how you know the the, the ambition, as you say, is clearly there, and it, indeed the achievement in some areas. Interesting that uh, Johnson was saying that a quarter of the over eighties have now been uh, vaccinated. I have to say, my eighty nine year old mother hasn't even heard from the doctor yet. So it clearly, you know, it's a very patchy situation. Is it really? Perhaps the whole system is a little bit too creaky to deliver in the way that Johnson wants. Well, one of the problems with the pandemic response from the very start has been that it's so highly centralized. And the vaccine rollout isn't really an exception here because the reliance is on um, the National Health Service uh, instead of, as some uh, have proposed, and we've heard, um, uh, we've heard this from the Royal Pharmaceutical Society, from the Adam Smith Institute, from the Tony Blair Institute. So we're, you know, we're talking voices from all over the political spectrum saying, get the pharmacies involved, have mobile units, run this as a sort of wartime 24-7 operations. I mean, speed is the name of the game here. Um, if we're going to have any hope of reaching um, uh, Johnson's, not just his targets, but but lifting uh, the lockdown restrictions, which, um, you know, by one estimate, the Adam Smith Institute report that I quote in, in, uh, in the column says that the pandemic is costing the taxpayer about £6 billion pounds 
each week and reducing economic activity by five billion. So this is about saving lives. It's about uh, trying to get the economy restarted. And it just seems that the government needs to pull out all the stops. It's not quite doing that yet. And then, Therese, another aspect of this looking ahead is that even after people have had two vaccines, it's going to be a long time before we get to the point where people can go out in society and operate normally. So even beyond the rollout, there are going to be more hurdles to to, to, to get over before this really is over. And that has such far reaching implications, business, socially, everywhere. Sure. I think nobody is uh, is under any illusion now that we are somehow going to see the elastic snap back to its former shape in a matter of months. And we even heard, you know, Chris Whitty talking about next winter and some restrictions to be put in place. And of course, there's this question of, you know, whether the new variants that, that we're seeing, particularly the South African one, uh, will eventually require tweaks to the vaccine. Um, and that will take time and, and slow vaccination. So, you just having a vaccine, as you say, is is not um, you know it, it it doesn't kind of bring us to the end of the um, of the, of this crisis. Um, but uh, you know, the more vaccines that are in arms, the more restrictions can eventually be lifted, and and you know, the more sort of normalcy people can recover in their lives. Let's talk about the travel issue because that is really rather mm. fascinating. Uh, because. You've got the government now moving into potentially testing people coming into the UK. I can remember that being suggested six months ago, maybe more. Uh, It seems a very strange late moment to join this particular idea of providing effective tests at entry points. Well, this is a tricky one on several levels. So, you know, the first is that London is a huge international hub, and there's a great reluctance from a government that has just, you know, proclaimed the the birth of global Britain, has left the EU to start shutting down, um, you know, shutting down international travel into the UK. So, you know, there's just a, um, a some pushback there. I mean, the other issue is obviously the a Four Nations one. So, there's already um, effectively a hard border between Scotland and England uh, because of the pandemic. Um, but, you know, if foreign travelers um, or returning, uh, you know, British residents can fly into Scotland or Northern Ireland and then make their way anywhere in the country, it doesn't really help much to have these uh, external border controls. So there needs to be an agreement between the four nations. And I think that's been difficult um, to arrive at probably where we will Uh, get to at some point is what a lot of other countries are doing, which is requiring a negative test uh, within 72 hours before departure, perhaps a negative test on arrival, um, along with quarantine restrictions. What we know now is that, for example, Heathrow Airport has almost no restrictions or checks on anybody coming in. We know the UK's contact tracing system is is extremely patchy, and so there's nothing really to enforce um, quarantine. So they will have to do something, but they, they they just seem to be really struggling to arrive at, at what measures uh, tick the box of a kind of liberal global Britain approach and yet um, satisfy public health considerations. Well, that's it. Isn't there a case for just doing what the EU have done and closing the borders completely? Wouldn't that be the cleanest solution? I think the the UK government would have a really hard time with that, you know, for the reasons I I mentioned they don't want to close borders. They they don't want to send that message out, um, and you know they still need to get uh, you know, they still need to get agreement within uh, the other the other nations for something like that. And I think although we've seen um, 
members of Boris Johnson's party who rebelled on previous lockdowns sort of rowing in behind him on this one as new evidence came to the fore. I think if we're talking about a really draconian approach on travel, uh, we'd start to see those splits reappear. So, uh, you know, this is one that the government is conscious of, you know, makes a practical difference, but it also has a lot of, uh, you know, symbolic impact. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.